According to Ephesians chapter 6, the choice of weapon for the Spirit of God that lives on the inside of you and on the inside of me is the Word of God. Hello, I'm Pastor Gray, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church of Longview. In just a moment, you're getting ready to go into the service here at Emmanuel. And guess what we use to give the Spirit to work in our lives? The Word of God. I trust that the sermon you're about to hear, that God's Spirit will use it as His sword, and according to Hebrews, that it will get down into us and it'll start working in us, dividing asunder, and will do His perfect work. May the Lord bless you as you listen to the truth of God's Word. Matthew chapter 22 is where we're going. Matthew chapter 22. In verse number 34, and these are very famous verses for anyone that's a Bible student, anybody that knows the Bible, and you have heard these, and you've heard me mention this set of verses often in passing, maybe not knowing where the address was, but Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the greatest, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. These, this is very simplistic. God took all the things that somebody should know about the law and all the things that somebody should know about how to live, and he condensed it down to two. Our Savior gave us simplicity. He did not give us a very complex way to live as a believer that's why he gave us one book called a Bible. He did not take everything that was done and put it into a book to where we would have to sift through millions of pages of manuscript of human history. But he said, I want to give it to you in two commands. Love the Lord, love your neighbor. The first commandment is almost impossible to accomplish. I want you to notice that one word, and this is why it seems difficult and almost impossible. It is the word all. He said, love the Lord thy God with, would you say that word please? All thy heart. And with what? Thy soul. And with? With the whole of you. With all of your heart. With every part of your soul. And with all the completeness of your mind. You and I strive every day to have a pureness of love that is 100%. We need to go to where we are completely full of a love for God. That is what we're striving for. And when the Lord said, I will take everything that is told you back in the law, the law is not just not contained in the Ten Commandments. If you read the law and judgment from there, there's a lot of them. But our Lord took it and condensed it to this and said, everything you're going to find hinges on this, and you hang Moses and all the prophets on this one thing. Love the Lord with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your mind. 
There's a reason why this is called the first and the great commandment. The first means that this should be at the beginning. It is placed in the order of importance. It is placed at the very chiefest place. It is the first. And then he said, great. Where they were looking for the great commandment, God brought it down to the first and the great commandment. And he said, this is exceeding. This should be loud in your life. This should be alive in your life. This should be large in your life. And that is this, love the Lord with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. This is the fight for the Christian. The fight for the Christian is to fight through what is going on in your heart, to fight through what is going on in your soul, and to fight through what is going on in your mind. You see, one day we will be able to love him with all. It will be no place for anything that has to do with the flesh. But right now, it is a daily struggle. The heart, the soul, and the mind is ground zero for all of our emotions and our thoughts. Your heart, your mind, your soul right now is full of this influence of the old nature. It's in a constant battle to arrive to a whole and a pure all love for God without being tainted by the world. It is amazing to where about the time we get our heart to love God with all, is it not true that our soul and our mind are full of something else? And then about the time we get our soul and it's full of the love of the Lord or we're headed there and we're about there, that is it not true that our heart and our mind now lag behind? If we could just get one of the three, if we could just get half of one of the three. And the discouraging thing for every believer is this, when will I arrive to where I can fulfill the first and the great command of God and that is to have an honest, full, pure love for God? It is hard to do as long as you are in the flesh. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. This battle that you and I have inside of our heart, this battle that you and I have on the inside of trying to decipher is, is, is what's going on. I want to love the Lord, but I find myself battling Romans 7, 23, but I see another, another law of my members warring against the law of my mind. Our soul, our, our heart is deceitful. Our mind is at war. And then 1 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 8, talking about Lot, it said this, for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and in hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The command is this, love the Lord thy God with all. Love the Lord thy God by being full. And then he put it on three fields, three levels. He said, let your heart love with all. Let your mind love with all. And let your soul love with all. But you and I, because we're sinners and because we are trapped in this flesh and because we have not been liberated from this wretched man that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7, then this is the fight we have every day. If we could just get our heart not to be deceitful, if we could get our heart to not be desperately wicked, then we could fulfill this command. 
If we could get our, our, our soul not to be troubled from day to day, then we could fulfill this command. If we could just keep our mind from always arming itself and casting down every imagination, as Corinthians says, and bringing into captivity every thought to that subjection of Jesus Christ, if we could just get a break from the flesh, then our heart could love him with all, and our soul could love him with all, and our mind could love him with all. This is the battle. This is the frustration. This is the discouragement. We set out with the beautiful morning of the sunrise, and we set out with the coolness of the day, and we say, today, I'm going to love him with all. We then get into the heat of the noon, and we find out our soul and our mind and our heart now have been influenced, and now we cannot love him with all. And then we end the sunset with this discouragement. I wanted to love him with all. I failed him in loving him with, with all, and now I just have to start it all over again tomorrow. I want to love with all. I strive to love with all. Many times, if not all the times, I fall short in loving with all. If I could just love God with all, in all areas, I think I would be ready to die and go to heaven. Here's the sermon for this morning before I give you my title. Where I struggle to fight through the humanity and sinfulness of who I am to love with all, God does not fight through my humanity and sinfulness to love me with all of who he is. Can I say that again? Where I struggle to fight through the humanity and the sinfulness of who I am to love him with all, that fight does not exist in the throne of heaven. God does not fight through my humanity and my sinfulness to love me with all of who he is. My title will probably bring back childhood memories for you. Here's my title. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. When I was in school, girls would try to predict the future. They would ask you strange questions on a bus to go play a game. Hey, what's your favorite colors? Give me five. When I first entered into the, uh, the superstition of girls, I didn't know what I was getting in for, and so they would turn around in the seat on the bus going to play a ball game. Hey, what's your five favorite colors? I would tell them. Then they would say, hey, what are the five occupations you think you will do in life? I would tell them. They would say, hey, give me five girls' first name, and I would tell them. They would say, hey, give me five states that you would live in, and I would tell them. They then said, they then said hey, give me five kinds of houses that you think you'll live in, and I would tell them. Then they would say, give me five kinds of cars that you would drive, and then I would tell them. They would ask me a series of dumb questions that only girls in junior high can ask. And they had this notebook paper. And then they would say this, after they had all the categories lined out, they would say this, pick a number between 1 and 10. I would pick a number. And by process of elimination, they would tell me what my wife's first name was going to be, what my occupation was going to be, what state I was going to live in, how many children I was going to have, what color hair my wife would have, what kind of house I would live in, what kind, kind of car I would drive. 
I was very discouraged one time when I was playing this game with my classmates to where I found out I was going to have 10 children and drive a Volkswagen. There was also another game that you would play to try to predict relationships. When you would see a sunflower or any type of flower with a petal, then you had that person that you loved. You would then play this superstitious, immature game by taking the petal and going, she loves me. She loves me not. She loves me. She loves me not. And it was a sad day for your future (laughs) when you landed to where the last pedal was, she loves me not. And then you just took that as a sign not to pursue that individual ever again. And then you would look at the beautiful girl, the popular girl, and her name was Kelly, in a Volkswagen with 10 kids. (laughs) One day when they asked me, where would you want to live? I just very nonchalantly said, Johnny on the spot. And when that became my house, I was like, we're in trouble. But you know, when you and I think about us looking at God knowing, sometimes with God, we play the same game He loves me, he loves me not. On our good days when we have conquered and won victory with a sin maybe that we struggle with and we actually did go 24 hours, it's he loves me. But but then that day to where we have violated a promise we made to ourselves spiritually, then it's he loves me not. On the day when all of a sudden every relationship's working great, he loves me. But then when it all falls apart, he loves me not. On that day when you bridled your tongue and you made it through a meal without saying what would have hurt somebody, he loves me. But then on those days that vileness and bile comes out of your mouth in words, he loves me not. Whatever the last petal of the flower or tab of your life that you have determined your relationship with God, please do not determine your relationship with God from your side of life. Determine your relationship with God from his side of life. We love him, but we struggle to demonstrate. We love him, but we fall so short in our soul. We love him, but we fall short in our mind. We love him, but we fall short in our heart. We struggle to show a passion. We struggle to show consistency. We struggle to raise the bar. If God came back on the he loves me not day, we would arrive in his presence with shame. If God came back on the he loves me not day, we would wish he would just give us one more day. And on those days that are the Mount of Transfiguration, he loves me. But on those days in the Garden of Betrayal, he loves me not. On the mountain to where we see Christ in all his glory, he loves me. But on those days that we can't even see the sun for the clouds of disappointment, he loves me not. May I Tell us all to remember the writings of Isaiah. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, 
in my thoughts than your thoughts. God is operating on a level of perfect love. God is operating on a level to where his love is not determined by our actions, but God's love is determined by his goodness. You see, in him is no darkness. In him is no shadow of turning. You are not on trial with God this morning. You are not being held captive by what he thinks about you because everything he knows about you, he still comes to this end. I love them. Jeremiah 31.3, the Lord hath appeared of old unto me saying, yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse number 7, the Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because ye were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people, but because the Lord loved you. Romans chapter 5, verse number 5, and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Romans chapter 8, verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Can I reread that this way? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? He loves us not. Or distress? He loves me not. Or persecution, he loves me not. Or famine, he loves me not. Or nakedness, he loves me not. Or peril, he loves me not. Or sword, he loves me not. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 3.19, And to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5, And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting of Christ. Jude, verse 24, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Malachi chapter 1 and verse number 2, I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, Wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I love Jacob. Nay, Romans 8, 37, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Ephesians 2, 4, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16, now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. How is it possible that a holy, righteous God would love a poor, miserable sinner like us? How could it be that the creator of the universe would love a creation that is 
flawed and frail. By what means would this imperial God who lives with streets of gold and gates of pearl want to share eternity with me? The answer is found in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Ephesians 5, 2 answers this. And walk in love as Christ also loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And then I think the verse that sums it all up is John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is natural. It is man-made for us to take the sunflower of life and to begin to play this spiritual roulette. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. And this roller coaster that the average believer goes on is a roller coaster that somebody at some point needs to say, stop looking at God through the eyes of inadequacy and look at God through his eyes. He loves me. 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 Don't look in the mirror as you look back at your life and your failings and think that God is determining his love. God is not determining his love by how you look each morning. God has already determined his love when he sent his son to die on an old rugged cross. The number one thing that this world needs is to know God loves me. How is that possible? Because he had a son named Jesus Christ who came to die in an old rugged tree. When he died, he took upon you and I his sin, our sins, and he became sin for us who knew no sin. He bore in his body the marks, the actions, the dark days of everything you and I have done and guess the conclusion he came to. He loves me. But God, who commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, yet, not even born yet, not even have decided yet, but I believe that God looked down through human history and when people tried to give a balance between human will and God's sovereign grace. I believe that although we don't understand it completely, I do believe this, that God's grace had all contingencies and all plans ready to go regardless of what human will decided. God does not list the actions of human will to determine if he's going to love. God has already taken into account everything you could get yourself into 
And he's already determined this. Like a good father, no matter what they get themselves into, I will love them. He loves me. Oh, I beg with you today. When this world gets very complicated, and when your life gets complicated, and you set out to love him with all your heart, and all your mind, and all your soul, and you fall short, always remember this. To whatever degree you fall short, he makes up the difference with his love. And to whatever degree I fall short, he meets me at my shortcoming, and then he says this, I love you. You see, every day I start out with my heart, my mind, and my soul, not planning on running my life into a brick wall and not planning on running my life through a rose garden to destroy anything. But I set out to love him, just like you do. And when I don't get it done, he still says, I love you. This morning, you may not feel worthy of anything, but know this, your God looks down and he says this, I love you, 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 I love you. The verse to me that is so impactful in the Gospels is a Savior who looks at Jerusalem. So Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft would I have gathered you together? Then there's a very heartbreaking phrase, and ye would not. If you're here today without Christ, he wants to be your Savior. He wants to bring a love on the inside that will surpass any love you've ever known. If you're here today and you're kind of beating yourself up, know this. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. I really hope that you enjoyed the service here at Emmanuel. Thank you for taking the time to tune in. At the bottom of the screen is my cell phone number. If I can do anything for you, please give me a call. I trust that you'll be back with us for the next broadcast. God bless you, my friend. Have a great week.